if John dies, I'll be okay. <laughs> is it important to leave a legacy behind? This is your daily catch up. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so I think there's been quite a bit of news reports about prominent figures in Singapore that have left us recently. So we thought it'd be a good time for us to touch on the topic of death, share our personal experiences with how we've dealt with grief and hopefully like maybe that's something that will help you as well. The most recent one that has also made international news is the passing of MMA fighter Victoria Lee. Mm. Her sister Angela Lee posted about it on January 8th. But uh, Victoria actually passed away on December 26th. Yeah, and the cause of death was not stated. Lah. So how did you find out about this? Are you, do you all know who Victoria is? So Victoria, if I'm not wrong, is the youngest of three siblings that all are MMA Champions. fights. If I'm not wrong, the, the her older siblings are, yeah. but mm-hmm. she's working her way towards becoming a champion. Yeah. yeah. I think she's like touted to become like bigger because yeah. she's like has the most to gain from in a fight family. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was she quite young, right? Like, she was yeah. 18. She was 18 and she was actually has the nickname The Prodigy. Yeah, so currently her fight record is like 3-0. Yeah, mm. and they are based in Hawaii, but they represent, if I'm not wrong, they represent both Hawaii and Singapore or something like that. Mm. Yeah. There are quite a few like speculations that have come out like on the internet and all that. Lah. So, On the cause of that? Yeah, on cause, because it was right. not stated like how she died. Yeah. So, yeah. It was just at the end, like Angela kind of put a reminder of like, don't forget to check in on your loved ones, that kind of thing. So that I think that maybe like fueled quite a bit of speculation. Yeah. I think like one that I saw that was a bit unethical was like the anti-vax people were like saying that like she died because of the vaccine. But yeah. yeah oh my God. There's quite a lot of those. And it was from international media on Twitter, especially. Like I think there's this hashtag that's going on called suddenly dies. And so whenever a news headline says this person suddenly dies, right? All the anti-vaxxers are using that as like, see, there's so many sudden deaths happening after the vaccine. Right. Which like, obviously can't be corroborated. Lah. Yeah. So I think today, like, we don't want to be speculating on this. And also like, probably like, for those of you who are watching, if it's possible, then like, give her family some privacy. Lah. But what we mm. do want to talk about is like, how to deal with the loss of a loved one. So I think it was interesting that it, they kind of like settled with it for a while before posting about it. Because I guess she's a public figure, so there's no choice, but they have to let people know what happened, lah, mm. even if they don't go into detail. But what I didn't realize was also that 
because I have like personally for me, I've only been to one funeral ever, and it's like my friend's grandma, so I'm it's quite detached from me one lah. And what I didn't realize was actually immediately after the person's passing, right? Then suddenly you are thrown into this like flurry of like funeral planning, and then like there's a lot of things that you need to take note of that like people might not know, and then also like it's very expensive, which I also didn't know. So like that was yeah. a bit surprising to me lah, like how chaotic mm. it can be, like even. Not to the point of like you might not even have had the time to grieve until like two or three days later. Yeah, I've had um I don't know I would say like five or six prominent deaths in my life. I think between the ages of eight to fourteen, I lost all my grandparents, and like um I think eight was like the first one. It was my grandfather. That was like when I was young, and then when I was eighteen, I lost my best friend, and I think that was the first time where like I completely just was in a up situation. I don't know how else to describe it because like I was stuck in Australia so I didn't get to come back for the funeral right and I was I found myself mourning for like three years like I was still in a state of like I think at that point of time like no one really understood depression or whatever but I just remember like periods of time where like I'm just stuck in bed and I didn't want to get up for any reason I couldn't find any motivation and like it was it was damn crazy because like she had um, brain cancer and she was like 17 and it was like Quite sudden, it was like a seizure. We got a phone call that she had a seizure. She was going to the hospital. And then from then on, like she was just going to the hospital in and out for like one whole year. One thing that was quite remarkable, right? And it could just be a crazy coincidence, lah, but like there was one period of time when she was back home already. It was in between treatment and like, you know, head shaven and everything. And like um, she was resting. And so we would one by one go to her house and visit her and just like, you know, because she couldn't leave the house. So like we just spent time with her and whatever. And there was one time I just went alone and um, before I went, I asked her like, what flowers do you want? And she said, I'm not dead yet. Like don't bring me flowers. And I said, okay, never mind. I'll just bring flowers. Like what flowers do you want? And she said, dandelions because it's just the most like unpractical flowers ever, it, yeah. right? And hard to find. You blow it and then everything flies away. <laughs> so I went online and you can't find it in Singapore, or at least at that point of time, like, this was mm. like 2011, okay. I think. Yeah, well, it's not wildflowers yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. The trend <laughs> haven't gone there yet. Oh, and it's also called dandelion seeds because that's the thing that flies. So yeah. anyway, right, I went to Etsy and like you could buy dandelion seeds that were kept in a like a little vi- oh. like jar, like a little thing with a cork yeah. on it and then it's a necklace. So I thought, hey, fantastic gift. So like I bought it and then I, I gave it to her. La. And then... That was the last time I, I saw her as she was. Because the last time already, um, the, the time after that, she was already bedridden and like tubes and everything. So when I finally got the text from a mom that she was gone, uh, I was in Australia and I just like took five minutes, saw the text, threw my phone down and I went out to our balcony and like never ever before or after did it happen again, right? But as I went to my balcony, a dandelion seat just landed wow. on my lap. Yeah. And I was just like, like I, I don't know how I didn't know how to process it, but like I, I knew like, like it was I was her somehow. Um which was crazy. And then so yeah, I, I didn't really process my feelings because I think at that point of time I was still in denial. I was going through what retrospectively I found out what the five stages of grief, right? And I was stuck at denial for very long. I had like I think it it strained my relationship with my religion a lot. I kept questioning God, like why did this happen? Because Everyone loved, like, this is not one of those stories where someone died and then everyone starts saying, like, she was loved or what. She was really, like, loved and, mm. like, crazy amazing. And, like, I like just couldn't understand why she was taken from us for a long period yeah. of time. But experiencing that helped me a lot when my uncle, who was my legal guardian for, like, um, my, my formative years in Singapore, right? When he passed away in 2020, like, 
helping me go through that initial grief actually taught me to process this one a lot better. Like I had to go and identify his body. I so I had to see like the the the, the dead corpse like in front of me and then go and sign all the papers and then like uh, organize the transfer and all that and all like all that stuff like. But I remember the whole time when we got the call, faster come down. This is the last time you can see him. We were late by like 15 minutes. So like he passed already by the time we came. And the whole time I just kept telling myself like, just feel what you are supposed to feel. Don't try and be strong for anybody. Just feel. And then I just started bawling. I just started crying like mad. And then I realized like that catharsis, right? Like just letting all of that go um, actually helped me through the, the whole other session. What were the feelings though? Like it was just the feelings of like, it was just lost because like thankfully with him, right, we we had three months in the hospital in that sense. So like there was an incident that happened and he could have gone if the ambulance didn't come like in time. And so the next three months after that, we both talked about it. It felt like extra time for us. So we had one-on-one sessions. Like I used to be very close with him when I was young. And then when I grew, when became like 20 or 21, I just, I would go out, la, I would be stuck at work. La, la. I just didn't spend any time with him. And that three months, I would every day just go to the hospital and just spend one-on-one one on one time with him. So we had conversations that we used to have, conversations that we never ever had. Um, and then I really just made sure that I didn't leave anything unsaid. So like at that this point, was, time, this was the uncle that you. This was with. the uncle because right. I knew that with with my best friend, there were so many things that I wanted to say that I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so like with with him, like I remember just processing all of it, but I also then felt like I said everything that I needed to say. He also said everything he needed to say to me, and it was I was at peace with it, like, And I knew then then I could then support all my other family members from then. Interesting, because I just it's so rare to say. Yeah. I've I've like been to I want to say like maybe at least fifty funerals of which like. I was part of the planning process for like half. Huh? Yeah, like since a very, very young age, I've had like, I, I have like undertakers on speed down. Like, like not speed down, like in, as context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like which in, I bump into them and you know, like how you will bump into a wedding photographer. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just like, hey, uncle so and so. You know what I mean? And um, I, feel, I feel like my closest, usually death is, is either very, um, it's sudden to you, not not to the person that's dying. It's sudden to you because you are not that close. So when that person falls sick, maybe you don't know, mm. right? You can hear there, go visit, then it's like, oh, diary, it's like, oh, diary. Then you show up for the funeral. You still help out because your family or your friends and whatnot, right? But I think that was one that was like, I saw death come and take that person, chip away at that person, which was on my my aunt. And, and she was very close to me growing up. Um, yeah, I mean, she was that, that crazy aunt that would do stupid shit with you. Then. But when I was really young, that kind. And... At one point, she had like terminal cancer. And I always believed that I would have cancer at some point because my family tree right, has all the cancer. Like, oh. like all. So, y'all can watch Twilight. No? I mean, this might be a bit distasteful Whoa. to my auntie's family, right? What a pivot. But yeah. you, you know that... What was that girl's name? Uh? That, that Bella. Could, yeah, Bella. When Bella story deteriorated, <laughs> then you, they, they use VFX and show that yeah, yeah. She, all her like she became skin and bones. Yeah, before yeah. she became a vampire. Yeah, so I I saw that for my dead auntie. Oh. You know, and she she was walking, then she cannot walk, but she was like talking for like 70-80% of that part, right? It's just she just every day looks a little bit different. And it was that it got bad, and because her family was busy and needed to work and have their own families and all that stuff. So she moved in with my family and we were close. Like, it's not our first time living together. Mm. And so I saw her deteriorate to the point where like we slowly, because it was like amazing that I think we stayed there. And then like my mum, I was still very young. And so my mum would carry her and 
she looked lighter and lighter and lighter and easier and easier and easier and she became skin and bones. Shit. Yeah, and at that point, she could still talk. She could still say some stuff that a little bit out of it, but very interesting. Like she converted to Catholicism because my family was Catholic. I guess she watched us pray every day, right? And so she wanted to get baptized. And then we gave her a crucifix and whatnot. And I remember she plucked out. She plucked out Jesus from the cross. And then she said, oh, I want to save him. Like, why is he still kneeled there? They can't stop, you know? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Big, like a, a three-week Catholic. Wow. That, that kind of how, how old were you when, when this happened? I can't remember. I want to say like eight, nine or, or younger. Oh, mm. so young? Ah. Yeah. Wow. Then how? Then then what was it like? like? Because now you're describing what happened, right? But then in your head, like how, do you, how were you processing everything? Like, did you realize that this person is, is slowly going? Yeah. Because I've, I've had death in my family very young. Like my, I think my great-grandmother on, on my maternal side passed away when I was three or four. And so they were... Like my parents never really hide from it, which actually was, it makes it okay. Mm. You know, like that, you be, becoming more aware of it, you see the impulses people do at the point of planning a funeral. Mm. Like how maybe children that didn't care before will come in now and insist on the most expensive casket. And it makes you think. Mm. It's like, she wouldn't know what casket she'll be in, you know. Yeah, but you would just, you know, now you want to insist on it and they say like, this is my mother, how can y'all put her in this? Because my parents were broke from taking care of that person. Mm. And my parents cannot afford this upfront and they are not saying, they are not saying, oh, I'll just pay for it first. They're mm. not saying that, they're just insisting on a very expensive one. And right. historically, they, they don't contribute, perhaps, right, right. La, or not outrightly. Yeah. yeah, and so like, then you see these things happen and like, it's a time where my, my, my family is so attached yet detached to death because we have so many so much experience with it, right? Mm. To the point where I, you can see, I can see it in my parents just taking a step back and be like, let's just let them fight it out. Mm -hmm. Then they fight finish already, they get ready, they grief ready, they make they feel good. <clears throat> they feel good about themselves already. They feel like they've made that fight for whatever premium thing that they want for that person already, right? Then my mom will come in and say, we're just gonna take this one. Mm. Yeah, then you, you kind of see how all that unfold. Whether or not my mom was in the wrong because I was too young to understand family politics, right? Mm. Sure lah, possible so. Well, very different here, your takeaway. My, I mean, my takeaway from yours. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've only actually experienced one, one like, um, very impactful death, which was my the my grandfather on my father's side. So mm. I, I can't remember how I was. I think I was like, or should I do remember? It was it was the year O levels. I think. Oh no! Yeah. So sixteen, right? And then, I think the news came them suddenly also because basically he was hiding. I think some of the the issues he was facing, like the health issues. So then it just came very suddenly in the morning or something like that. We just my parents got, my dad got a call or some shit. Then we just know that we need to rush down to the hospital. Yeah. Then after that, then like on the drive there, right? As my, I call, I sit in the front, right? Then I turn and look at my father. Right? That's the first time I ever see him cry. I think that's the, one of the only times I ever see him cry in my life. Yeah. Because yeah. I still haven't processed what happened. You know what I mean? On the way there. I'm still thinking like, die? Like what? Yeah. You know? Then on the way, or maybe, yeah, yeah. So then on the way there, uh, then I see him crying. Right? Then I know what happened already. Then, then the ride there just suddenly felt very, very slow and very long as like the information sank in. Then, it was the first time I see my parents cry so I think the first death in the yeah, family. And I, and I don't know how but I think that affects you some in, in some ways also. But I, but I was really just avoidant in terms of processing. And so, like I think the way my, my grandma is and, and my father's side of the family is right, they've them like positive and all that kind of shit. So yes, everybody is crying and all that kind of shit, right? But throughout the remaining days of the, of the funeral, 
which was actually quite long. I think it's like almost a week or some shit, right? Like I had to move over to to that that house. But then because I was still doing my O levels, means I have to take a different route to school. Which you know when you're sixteen, that kind is like very different, right? So uh, suddenly a lot of changes happen. But whenever I have to go back to the funeral, right? Then I do see a lot of people coming in and kind of like it's more of like the it's not so sad. It's actually quite happy. Like people are laughing, they are taking care of each other, they are doing all this, right? And then, and then that kind of taught me how to like look at death in in that light, right? But but on the other hand, right, it's like after that whole thing had happened, right, I realized like way later in life that I don't really understand how to like what's the process of grieving, what's the process of getting over this idea of death. Yeah, yeah. When you talk yeah. about the the what five stages, what are the five stages? There's grief, uh. yeah. anger, denial, sadness. <laughs> there's there's bargaining somewhere. Yeah, there's bargaining somewhere. That one. You are like trying to say, God, please, like, 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 I will do anything for you to like correct this again. Uh, you know. And this usually happens with like, what kind of time spend? I think it depends. Ooh, I think yeah, usually I think a year, depends. maybe, Over maybe year. like six months. I think everyone grieves at different paces. Mm. Um, so like like again that that my my best friend one I took like maybe three years to get through this. But whereas with my uncle, I think again I, I loved him very much. It's not yeah. like I didn't care about you, right? I, I was like waiting for you to come out. I was like, hmm, how will you construct this one? So but like, bargaining is also like I should have da da da. If only I had da da da. Yeah, so it feels a lot like guilt and like shame and okay. yeah. Yeah. What, what what are the five stages in order yeah. again? Yeah. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance. Yeah. yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How do you be there for a friend who is grieving? the loss of a loved one. Do you constantly check in on that, ask them how they're feeling or like, what? I, I, I don't know how to be there for somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, but I feel like it might differ from friend to friend. Like some of them, I think they want that space. Like they don't really want to be around anyone right now, right? So or, or they don't want to be around you, for example. Uh, yes. They want someone to be there for them, but, but you're not, not you. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm, how do I determine? You gotta that? respect that. No, which is why I feel like do you, you want me? it's really a text message. I mean, <laughs> no. you, you you go, you attend for sure, and yeah. you end off with if you need anything, please let me know. And mean it, obviously. And but the chances of that person actually reaching out to you, I feel like it's lower as compared to you. Text the person then that actually yeah. I need someone. Yeah, no, no, but it's it's fine. Because I think that's just something that you just need to say because you feel like you've done your part and something that they need to just receive in case really they need help. Like Maybe you have kids or what and you need to be a funeral and someone just needs to take care and you just feel like, okay, actually, I'm so sorry, but I really need help. Like, just to know that there are people out there for you and I feel like that's enough for yeah. me. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got offered like three times just to make, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. make it real. The so, first yeah. time is just... Say like, once yeah. in real life, say once on text. 
when you see that person in that slum, it sucks, ma, and you want to try and help them out of it. But at the same time, is that just, they just have to go through that? Because there's, there's a very big difference between identifying and, and owning the, the emotion and feeling of pain mm. versus letting that, that moment or incident right, affect you and then letting, allowing yourself to just like suffer because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, so, but in my experience, there are, there are two main emotions being felt by the people that they are closest to, right? The first one is guilt and the, the other one is emptiness. Guilty that you could have done more, you should have done more, you should have done this two years ago or yesterday and whatnot. And then the emptiness of having that person to go home to and then that's missing. And so for me, what I try to do it, but I don't do it very consistently, but what I try and remind myself to do is to be, to make myself present in, in those two moments. Meaning, if I attended a wake and I left the wake, I will tell you that that was a beautiful wake. Mm. Like, like you all did very well. I think your grandmother, or your friend will be proud and you know, like in a good remember. So you make, you leave that, you make them feel that whatever it is, because they're, they're doing something mm. and in, it will never ever feel like enough because how do you compare a night of ceremony or three night ceremony to that person's life, right? It will never feel enough for them. And so you tell them it's beautiful. You tell them the casket's beautiful. You tell them this and that, whatever they plan was good. And then the other one is to check in on them when they reach home from the funeral. Because I think that's where the first, mm. the biggest thing hits. You go home without them or you go home and they are not there. Yeah. And so it's on the evenings, it's on the mornings for as long as you can remember. And if they will take three hours to reply you, then so be it. Then yeah. you, the, em, the void, the emptiness they feel is not that empty. It's also little things like saying like, get some rest. Because usually in those five days, they probably haven't been sleeping well either. And I think it's just really little words of encouragement like that. Lah. Remember to sleep, get some rest. Let me know if you need help. How are you? And I feel like if they're not ready to share with you, whatever you say also they're not going to like open up and when they are ready they are ready like if you want to offer help right here's a, here's a trick right give examples of the help that you would like to offer be specific yeah don't don't be like hey, if anything if you need anything let me know okay. no one's gonna call in on that yeah. right like for example babysit your children take mm. care of your dog mm. uh, clean up when this thing is over like give them mm. that. then let them be like oh yeah actually yeah Script point. So that you let people know how far you're willing to go as opposed to, or if you need 20 bucks, you can always tell me that I will pay mm. now. You. It could be a very low level one. Ma. Right. Yeah. In my imagination or my impression, right? Like I think when my, like even like Choi, like Tashu, when my parents go, right? Like I really don't think that like I will cry or that I will... Lan Jiao. So you say. I don't... I, bullshit. <laughs> okay, okay. I call me in 50 years. Let me see. As in, because I feel like I really don't have the concept of like what it means to lose someone that you love. Permanently, right? Yeah, permanently. So like we've gone, I think the closest that I've been or like I have felt something is when we went on the embalmer shoot. So we actually got to interview an embalmer, right? Who does like the makeup and that stuff. That was when I realized how f***ed up a person. <laughs> how crazy of a person he was. No, no, f***ed up. Crazy. Okay, you, you, you do yours first. Yeah. <laughs> Just, as in no, like, no, that I will add one story because cannot, cannot like that. <laughs> <laughs> As in, so to me, it's like a, hey, cool. I also want to go and see because we are getting to see the process of it. But then I thought that like, it would just be an interesting, like new experience to go and look at this. Lah. Like no one, not everyone gets to see this. Ma. So then after that, but then when I went, right, then like seeing the body, like just on that metal tray. And then after that, just literally like lifeless, right? I think that was the moment where it set in for me. Like, this is it. Yeah, permanence. Yeah. So that was when John Paul like maybe joined us less than half a year, less than three, four months, that kind of one. And so we were exploring all his his kinks. His kinks. 
And then, and so he, he found, I think, Sarah the Embalmer. There's a documentary on it on MOSG, right? Mm. And I remember because the lady was quite elderly and, and a bit big size. And so when she made an incision to drain some bodily fluid, um, the fat, which I don't know, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, do you expect fat to look like that? Like, I don't know. It, it looked like custard. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so when, like, when you, cut, when she makes the incision, right? Then the custard, like, out like a flower like that. And when that thing happened, like clearly all of us seeing this shit for the first time. La. Like, so when then, then all of us just took a step back because you don't know whether the thing's gonna blow or it's gonna explode or shoot in your face and whatnot, right? And then that was where <laughs> I, I saw him take the handheld, right? Then the thing pluck, zero hesitation. He, he looked disappointed himself that he missed it. Like he pluck, he, he just, he put his whole entire face in there on a handheld camera. Then I was like, oh, this guy is different. <laughs> different. Okay, your turn. Oh, you your... described it very disgustingly. <laughs> I didn't put my face in anything. <laughs> no, because it was handheld. We, we didn't even bring that, that, that monitor thing. So he, it it's was a like, prime lens thing you need to ah. <laughs> It was a prime lens, I think. <laughs> Stop right there. But just temporarily, we will go back to the video very soon after I do this very quick plug. So like, share, and subscribe, ring the notification bell and let us know down below how do you want to go? Back to the episode. No, I feel like I've always been quite I won't say detached, but I've come to accept that death is part of life. Like what you were describing earlier, right? Like Not that I have. La. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of people fear death because of the unknown component of it. Yeah. Yeah, you really don't know what's going to happen after. But to me, it's... If you accept it as part of the process, you don't even know whether it's going to be better or worse or whatever that is, yeah. right? Mm. But if... I, I can't remember where I heard this, but they said that if you, if you think that... If your perspective is shifted to a way where you know that after you die, you're actually going to somewhere that's going to be way better and awesome and f***ing amazing, right? You actually will be able to not... You overcome the fear of death. Yes, and you will religion. live a bit, a bit <laughs> yeah. differently. Yeah. So, and there are, there are therapists mm. that just... You don't have to be sick. They just help you accept death. Like, you just have a healthier oh. relationship with mm. death. That's what you call. Yeah. I mean, America lah, got everything lah. Oh, okay. So, I was going to say, why haven't we interviewed this person? <laughs> the invent drops. Yeah, and I feel like once you have that, right? Then your whole perspective on life also changes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and all of that, right? Like the physical body and this kind of thing is not at, as important anymore. What if yeah. it's nothingness? Okay, right, actually. Then, yeah, lor, yeah. so be it. Lor. We don't understand what nothing is. Just like how we that, that don't understand what fear. blind is. You know, a blind man once yeah. said, like many people yeah. assume that if you go blind, you just see black. And yeah. like, and he says, I cannot explain to you but when you go blind, you don't see black. You don't see. And that's not the same as seeing black. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. No, but I think mo most likely because people think that their consciousness will still be there in a nothingness realm. But scientists yeah. do find that your consciousness might stay around for two hours, you know. Yeah. Like, like the last organ to go, I think, is your ears or some shit. Yeah. There's also this, there's also this account of how people that work, uh, like nurses that work in the, I don't know what they are called, but places uh, where people die. Mark. Like, no, um, like like when you are old or you are sickly. Hospice. Then, Hospice. Yeah. Then there was this account of how a lot of nurses like have evidence or have re accounted, recounted that a lot of people know when they're going to die before they die. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like they sen yeah. they can sense it and then they will do something. So for example, like there, like, there are examples like um, a guy that cannot speak for like years, right? But just before he died, right? he can somehow articulate his final yeah. words to his loved ones and then after that he goes. There, there are yeah. two things that, that I've learned watching so many deaths up close on the front seat, right? That when it happens for your friends, right? You still cannot tell them one because it's too busted already. And so I'm going to say it now, right? That 
there's usually two things that happen and this happened across the board one is that they start talking to other family members or themselves. So, and this will happen weeks out, right? And then like two, three days before, right? Usually, right? They have like a last spurt of, of yeah. vitality. Yeah. Right. Making you feel like they're going to be discharged at the end of the right. week. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's where everybody let their guard down, plan that weekend trip, or go out, make dinner plans, and don't say they are what they want to say. And then they go. And it's usually after that last spurt of vitality that lasts a day or two. And then they will have enough vitality to tell you, go on, don't worry, I'm okay. Mm. At least for my family, it was like that. Mm. Yeah. And then two days later, go. So I think one of your shared a hardware zone question, right? About, so when the founder of Creative that, that also died, rest in peace, right? Mm. Which, which is such a titan, right? For some of you the younger ones that don't know, right? What made the iPod really stand out in the past? The first generation of iPod was that scrolling ring thing that you adjust your volume. It makes you feel like the first gen of touchscreen, but it was not really a touchscreen. That was actually creative technologies, technology that's licensed to Apple. And so he was a big titan in Singapore. And then when he died, and then the news all came out, right? And then how about someone asked, um, I just realized that when I die, there will be no articles. I will have left no accomplishments behind. Mm. I will have nothing. And then, it, then it, it hit me like, oh my God, I also have nothing. And then after that, I read on the comment section and then the comment section says, but when you die, it, you won't know if, like it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, and I'm trying to get over that mountain, that, that hill. Yeah. I think for me, it's like the, the fear of death is really, I don't think it's about the fear of death itself, right? It's the fear that you didn't do enough, like you didn't leave a legacy, like you wish you had seen the world, you wish like you did this and did this and you just didn't have enough time. And so I feel like it's, I don't know, the, the, the takeaway for most people is like, seize the day and like really make the most of like of every day, yeah, right? What if you live, right? Yeah. <laughs> but to, to me, it's just like, like, I'm not going to make sure that every day I've like lived to the 100%. Yeah. But I, I, what I've done is that like, Again, I think I mentioned this before in like a finance app, right? But seeing that my uncle had still a bit of savings life in his bank account and didn't have the time to spend it because he thought that he, he died quite young, he died like in his 60s and he thought that obviously he would have 30, 40 more years to live, right? I don't mean to like suddenly just f*** your savings and all of that. But <laughs> I decided to to live life, to stop hoarding for yeah. future retirement. Dink. Dink. Dinking. Um, but uh, maybe I want kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you now have no money. <laughs> so now I, my retirement you is going to be shit. Like, <laughs> you try, every night you try to buy a car, you got $6. Like, wow. I am, <laughs> I'm fully relying on TPM. No, la, no, la. I still have a, like, a decent amount of, uh, of savings. your partner but. is okay with this. Because <laughs> she got $2. <laughs> so he's the richer one. So, so on the point of like legacy, right? I feel like something that was quite interesting was that later on in my life, after my grandfather passed away, I, I, there was, I, I can't remember, but there were people that were tell me that, eh, Wow, you are you are so much like your grandfather. You're so much like this this attribute oh. is so much like him, so much like him. And it was only later that I realized that I think right, there were certain traits of him that that I I I I really like respected and all this kind of stuff. And after he passed, right, like I kind of adopted those traits. Mm. I feel uh, yeah, and and and, and it does seem to me like that in itself is a way of leaving a legacy behind. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I become him in certain, in certain ways also. Yeah. Which I found was quite interesting. I'm the exact opposite of you. Nice. I genuinely don't care. As in like, to me, it's just such like a fluff word. And then like, 
why as in, I don't understand why people feel the need to make a name for themselves or whatever. Like if you if the world doesn't remember you after you after you go, it doesn't mean that you didn't live a good life. Oh yeah, la, yeah la, of course. So la. then like to me it's just like if I'm happy with the life that I live there, okay no, la, I don't need to like have a legacy that I leave behind. Like if I drop dead now, right, honestly I okay. You're not okay. I, I always oh. tell Peg I okay. And Peg gets very scared. <laughs> but I always insurance tell her, money though. I, I, I always say I'm ready to die. <laughs> See, my partner also, yeah, my partner makes time. me take it back. But yeah, anyway. I think we had a dinner with some friends, right? It was for New Year's or some shit. Then Pat just, I don't know why she bring this shit up. It was the most disappointing conversation. <laughs> she said, um, the other time, right, when John was with his company in Bali, right? Then I was just, uh, I was at home long, alone, just sitting around. Then I was driving to go somewhere, MBS, something like that, right? Then I think to myself, if, if John dies, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> then then she's just like but she's trying to say she's finally like financially stable that's what yeah. she's trying to say but I, like, it, I understood a, a month later when I like so when you say <laughs> and she's like I would just I would ask myself if John die now what would I be doing then she's like normal no same law I go shopping <laughs> <laughs> no if you said that she was robbing you while saying that right? yeah, like she was like, like yeah, and then she was like yeah I'll be okay <laughs> then I'm like what the f- <laughs> then now you know okay to die. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, I must give us something to miss. <laughs> I think just bringing back to the Victoria Lee um uh, case, right, or like her death. I think we we've spoken about guilt today. We've spoken about how people would feel like I could have done this or I could have done that, and we don't want to speculate. But there is a lot of speculation that it may have been suicide, regardless of the case. And I feel like with suicide, that guilt is even stronger because people feel like could I have said something to prevent that? When last Saturday they asked me to help and I said no, like, was that because of that? And I feel that that guilt is very strong. And if you are someone who is a loved one of someone who had suicide or whatever, or, or in this case, like, I feel like the worst thing you can do right now is to blame yourself. Because I think you're going to go into a spiral and like learn to, to, to move on and hopefully go through the grieving period instead of like feeling the guilt about that. Lah. And I feel like um, I've... Personally, I haven't had loved ones who committed suicide, but I know of loved ones who have had loved ones who committed suicide and they all go through that rabbit hole and becomes very, very dangerous. Mm. Um, so that's just a PSA. La. So thank you for watching today's episode. It was a bit more of a heavy one. I think if you have any advice down there, right? Like maybe something that you've gone through that you feel like people would share in your experience and can relate to it and help them to grieve, do share that down below. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Can you imagine? When we die, right, there's a good chance, right? If we continue doing this long enough, right? That our funeral photo in front of the coffin is a thumbnail. Oh my <laughs> I thought gosh. you were gonna say we become ghosts and we do podcasts together. Almost. <laughs> oh my we'll be God. The it's not after most... hours, it's after life. <laughs> <laughs>